so Zacchaeus not only knew who Jesus was, oh. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was, Absolutely. especially as the tax collector. When you open your heart, when you make one step towards Jesus, he will make more steps towards you. So all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. Um, this is God's way of letting things be worked out between us and Him. That it's a, and it's a kind of oh. a mysterious thing, but it's a way of giving us an opportunity to allow His grace to permeate our lives in such a way that there are no grudges, there are no lack of what should be there in a perfect friendship. Well, sure, God's grace is God's friendship. It's God. It's the reality of our relationship with God. So, I mean, is purgatory a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, but you can't grow in God's grace in purgatory. It's already done. So that's why they need us to help them through it. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and all the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Good evening and welcome. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. The church is in the 30th week of Ordinary Time and we will be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time. After the Gospel, we will flank our Heaven and Hell episode last week with a discussion about purgatory this week in honor of All Souls Day on November 2nd. I'd like to uh, introduce all the priests that are here sitting around the table tonight. Father Mike, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Father Marty, welcome. Hello there, everybody. And Father Dennis, Hello, welcome. everyone. And Father James. Hello, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for uh, shuffling the recording schedule this week so we could make this happen with the parish mission and everything. We got kind of jammed up on Thursday. In our news and notes segment this week, um, Father Marty, since you were gone last week, we didn't get a whole lot of information on Upon This Rock, so uh, would you like to give us an Upon This Rock campaign update quick? We're off to a, um, a pretty good start. Um, you know, uh, it's still early in the campaign and everything. You know, we've got some, we got, um, some gifts coming in and everything. I can tell you that the overall campaign is now um, over 14.5. So, and that's a jump of about 470,000 from last week. I think we're making good progress. And that, the campaign is a year long, correct? It's actually three years. And it's basically done in three waves. Well, four. We did a quiet, fa a quiet wave. Um, then wave one, some of the parishes were kind of the guinea pigs. Wave two is the one we're in now. We'll go to the first of the year. And then after the first of the year, the rest of the parishes will undertake the campaign and then it's a three-year um, process after that for pledges so once you make your pledge um it's it's over a three-year period correct okay 
Yes. So you don't have to give, you, you don't have to, you can still give quite a bit of money and stretch it out over three right. years. One of the things that um, we've talked about is a deanery, um, and Father James knows more about this than I do, but, uh, you know, like some people like to, um, for tax purposes, you know, like stock and um, IRA stuff and mm -hmm. things like that. Well, with the market down a little bit, some people are waiting, you know, into that third year to see when the market comes back up you know, to make their, you know, to make their gift. So you have three years to do it. So you could delay everything and pay it all in the last year. That if you is correct. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Very good. And then the second thing I wanted to talk about is, um, it's been a week since the parish mission with Mike Patin, 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 well, Mike Patin. We spelled his name right on the check. That's good. <laughs> the, region, the region Cajun from Louisiana, Mr. Mike. And and I wanted to I wanted to get uh, get your thoughts about Mike and his message and what you thought of the mission in in general. I I loved it. Um, the the spirit was high. Um, the music was great. The prayer, the the meal, and and I think we need to give a shout out tonight. Um, the Knights of Columbus worked very hard getting the spaghetti dinner done. Um, the PTO worked hard getting the soup supper done. And then the altar and rosary, they not only had to get the meal prepared and everything, but they had to do it in their own homes and other people's homes. Yeah, without electricity. Be because we lost power for six hours that day. And um, I think the evil one was trying, knew that we were doing something good and wanted to kind of put us down a little bit. But we looked him right in the eye and said, not today, not so fast, my friends. And then Tuesday during the day, the internet went down. That is true. And they had Mediacom there working on the internet most of the day to try to get the internet back up. And they did at, what, 4.30 or something mm -hmm. like that? So that was kind of interesting, yeah. too. So it was it was very, very good. Hey, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the mission myself, mm -hmm. The uh, especially the music. You talk about the music. I found myself waking up in the morning singing the songs from the mission <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and on my way to work as... And, and one of the things I found interesting was sometimes, and I'm not sure how to do this politically correct, but sometimes people like the music that we picked and sometimes they don't. Because it was a little bit newer, would you say? Um, worship music. And I had somebody stop me before the third night and a little bit older. And, you know, and I assumed here that, um, you know, well, maybe, you know, she says, Father, I want to talk to you about the music. And I'm like, you know, because my first thought was, mm, we don't like it. And uh, they looked at me and says, Father, why can't we sing this on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what, what and, and we do a little bit, you know, at the youth mass once a month, but, but we're working on that as well, too. Very good. So uh, how do we as a parish continue the mission? I mean, what's the next step for the parish? I think right now. Um, for me, and I knew I walked into this when Mike came back to me the third night and he says, Father Marty, how many, how many does this church seat? And I knew the answer right off, you know, 204. You know, I'm like, Hey, look at me. <laughs> and, um, and basically said, no, that's the wrong question. It's not how many the church will seat. It's how many are sent forth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need to take that message to the heart that each and every one of us are sent forth. And 
It's like, a, it's, it, you know, it's, it, we don't need the Bible in our hands. And it's a line that I've stolen from another bishop. Um, you know, cold butter doesn't spread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, too well. And so what we do is, is, and it's what Mike said, you know, we take how Jesus has worked in our lives and we tell others and we invite. And I think if we continue to do that, even Jesus, people told Jesus no. You know, the rich young man. I think we continue to invite. It's up to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to go out and make disciples. We have yep. to go out and evangelize. Amen. The mission was filmed, and the videos are available on the parish website at dmcountycatholic.org, mm-hmm. correct? How long are they going to be up there, and, and where can people find them? We'll leave them up. They're on the main page. Um, we'll leave them up for a couple of weeks, and then we'll announce where we're going to put them. We're not just going to delete them. We'll put them somewhere on the website under something. We'll let you know. Okay. To be determined. To be determined. TBD. Very good. So, you know, one thing I thought was interesting at the parish mission. Okay. So, the first night, you know, Mike's really working the crowd, you know, moving up and down. And there's this individual that gets up close and personal to him. <laughs> and, you know, Mike kind of looks and goes, well, wow, you're kind of close. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hello there. You wouldn't believe who that person was. I think it might have been you, Tony. <laughs> it probably looked a lot like me, didn't it? <laughs> so the, the awesome part, I would say, was the recordings is like, there's going to be that mixture of, you know, the view from up in the choir loft, but also that kind of up close personal. So you're able to feel connected. You're able to get a better sense of the mission instead of having this 30,000 foot view. Yeah, Mike told me that he's he enjoyed that part of it when he went and watched some of the videos that he never had that at any of the other missions he's done before, so... He thought that was kind of a neat thing. He said he had trouble ignoring me, which I'm sure everybody in the church had trouble ignoring me. But uh, are there any other news or events that we want to get in there? All Souls. All Souls Mass. We have All Saints coming up. Um, and then the All Souls Mass on November 2nd, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. We remember um, those parishioners who have died from the parish in the last year by name light a candle in their memory okay and then following um we'll have a light um soup supper over at uh the hall it's at six o'clock at st john's on november 2nd okay all right uh, father mike uh, do you have our uh, opening prayer yes i do in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen, amen. heavenly father we are gathered here tonight as we reflect on the the uh, episode where Jesus meets Zacchaeus, where he comes under the tree, the sycamore tree, and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, today I mean to eat supper with you. Come down from that tree. Give us the grace of the Lord to meet you, regardless of how it may be, and grant that we might be willing to accept your invitation to come and be with us. All of this we ask through the powerful intercession of your mother, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Well, tonight, as as previously mentioned, we will discuss Luke's gospel for the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time, which is chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And in this reading, Zacchaeus tries to catch a glimpse of Jesus and ends up getting far more than he bargained for. So, Father Dennis, you have our reading? Yes. At that time, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now, 
a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a, a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But uh, he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was uh, short in stature. So he ran ahead and uh, climbed a sycamore tree in order in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And uh, he came down quickly, and he received him with joy. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor, and if I have exalted anything from anyone, I shall pay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. <clears throat> so the word about Jesus is getting around, isn't it? Where is Jericho in relation to Jerusalem and Bethlehem and the other biblical towns? Why is Zacchaeus so curious about Jesus? So when you look at Jericho, you're looking at probably about 40-ish kilometers, probably ballpark from Jerusalem. You're going to be going down towards the east, a little bit northeast slightly. You're going to be losing about probably a thousand meters in elevation, probably. Jericho is kind of down by the Dead Sea, kind of over west of the Jordan River. Um, Jericho is kind of like a sinful place in the Bible, typically. It's, you know, you just have this big eleva elevation drop. In comparison, Bethlehem is to the south of Jerusalem, not too far, maybe... 10 kilometers, maybe 15. I've never been there, but I always get confused because they talk about going up to Jerusalem, even though you're going down, you're going south, but you're going up and... Well, like elevation-wise, like... Elevation-wise. Jerusalem yeah. is higher than Bethlehem. Okay. It's kind of up on a plateau. And Jericho is north of Bethlehem? Jericho is to the east, to the with east? a slight northeast. I see, okay. Like on a clock, you're looking at just barely above the three on a clock. Okay. Father Mike, you haven't been to the Holy Land? I have not been to the Holy Land, no. Okay. Someday before I die, or after I die, one of those times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, too, you know, G Jesus is starting to reach celebrity status at this point in the gospel, because in, in verses after this, um, he's going to tell a couple parables, and then he's going to weep over Jerusalem and make his entrance into Jerusalem. And so, um, you know, it's very much um, a superstar status, 
Um, it's like the time a few years ago when Justin Bieber's car broke down. They had to stay in Hamilton, Illinois. Um, the town went wild. And I think that's the way it was with Jesus. You know, the miracles were out there. The teaching was out there. The healings and everything. And people wanted the scene. Who's Justin Bieber? For those in the audience that may not know who this oh, character okay. is that you talk about. Well, Justin Bieber what, used to be a uh, pop singer, I believe. Um, but then he's released, a couple years ago, he released a, a Christian album. So I think he's trying to be like Zacchaeus and turn his life around. Or like Kanye West. There you go. Yes. So word really was getting out. And, mm -hmm. and he was, people were uh, trying to get tickets to his events uh, yes. in those days. Okay. It says Jesus was passing through, but he decides to stay with Zacchaeus. Why the abrupt change of plans? Um, what do we take away from this? I mean, the thing that popped into my head just now while, while Father Dennis was reading the gospel was that Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus's house. And so isn't that kind of what God is doing with us? Isn't he trying to get a foothold and get in and get a, a toehold with us so that he can have dinner with us? But are we humble enough to let him come in is the question. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. He wants to come in, but are we willing to show him the messiness and the dirtiness of our lives? And like Zacchaeus, do we go seek him out? Do we? Are we looking for Jesus? Are we trying to get a glimpse of him? And do we respond in haste? You know, when he calls, like, Zacchaeus isn't like, well, you know, kind of hang out in the tree a little while longer. He's like, Jesus, call me out. Let's go. And, and I think that's important. I think there, that's an important part, too, because, Tony, you know, you asked, you know, people knew who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the word through whom the world was made, the word made flesh. But did you notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, you up there in the sycamore tree? He mm -hmm. called him by name. Right. So guess who else? So Zacchaeus not only knew who Jesus was, oh. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. Absolutely. Especially as the tax collector. So I'm guessing Zacchaeus wasn't a well-liked guy, um, <laughs> especially running around in the Jewish circles. <laughs> the tax collectors were well-known back then because, well, you know, $10 for Caesar, $5 for me. $10? Yep. They're going to take and, their cuts. And Father Marty, you couldn't have teed up my next question any better. Yeah, Father Dennis. Yeah, I really enjoy here something which can be helpful to anybody. Because first of all, people were not expecting Zacchaeus, who was a chief taxi collector, to be excited to see Jesus. Okay. Because in the society, you know, these are the sinners. They steal money, they do this. But now he takes that step. He makes only one step to climb a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And then Jesus makes two steps to invite him, even to have dinner with him. So what I want to say is, when you open your heart, when you make one step towards Jesus, he will make more steps towards you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Zacchaeus made the extra effort to get up where he could see him. Yeah. And that's what we need to do. Well, and I think too, I mean, it's, you know, it's, he had to climb the tree because he was short in stature, but... Was he physically short? 
or was he morally short? <laughs> Maybe or both. both. Possibly both. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of thinking, like, you know, when they lift the paralegic, you know, through the roof, mm-hmm. you know, that idea of going upwards. Yeah. And you, you think of, you know, the blind man there, he is on the side of the road, you know, crying out to Jesus, and here they are trying to shush him, and I'm sure there were people in the crowd that were like, that kid's a key out of here, like, have them hide behind some people, like, then you see him climb this tree, and you're like, oh, great. Here's the king. He's climbing a dang tree now. <laughs> what's, what's he doing here? Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, which tees up my next question perfectly. Um, Zacchaeus was a Jew and a tax collector, which doesn't make him a very popular with the Jewish people. And the people dismissed Jesus because he went to the house of a, quote, sinner, unquote. Aren't they judging Jesus here? Doesn't Zacchaeus kind of come to his defense by telling the people that although he's a tax collector, I'm still an honorable man. If I've cheated, he says, if I've cheated anybody, I will repay them four times. I think he says something about I, I didn't take anything that more than what I was supposed to or whatever. It seems like Zacchaeus is trying to salvage his reputation, if nothing else. Oh, it probably is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you got to remember also that our Lord knew about all of this before it happened. I mean, he, not that he set it all up to happen this way, but he knows the hearts of people, and he knew the heart of Zacchaeus, and he knew how Zacchaeus was going to react. And I think you have to put it in the, in the form of the way it would happen today. Somebody very important, as Father Marty said, somebody important happens to be in town. Everybody wants to see them, even to the point of making a special place, in this this case, up in the sycamore tree. And then our Lord wanted to let Zacchaeus try to justify himself. And in the process, Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Jesus, you know, because our Lord said today, salvation has come to this house because of your honesty and because of your your willingness to, to be equitable and to give to people what is really theirs and not take away from them. So it's a marvelous way of showing how God deals with us. If we just allow him to take the first step to come to our house, even if he invites himself, and we, <laughs> we don't say, no, the door is closed. The door is always open. And we've got to make sure that it stays open. And I, and I think, too, we have to remember in, in the last verse, um, you know, that was Jesus's primary mission, was to seek out those who were lost. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he did that with Zacchaeus. The one thing I find interesting, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but did you catch the word if in there? If I have extorted anyone, I will repay him four times over. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, I don't think so. But maybe Zacchaeus, you know, he wants to make that first step, but does he want to go all in? Or is it just kind of a start of a process? Interesting. Because I read it that, he was representing that he hadn't extorted anyone. And maybe he hadn't, you know, maybe, maybe his own personal life was a lot different than what people thought of him, which is probably true of a lot of people today. Their reputation is worse than, than they really are. And it's only because we look upon them with prejudice on our side that uh, we don't appreciate the, the goodness that they already have with them. So who knows? Jesus said that, he called Zacchaeus a descendant of Abraham. Mm-hmm. He repeats that he's come to save, quote, what was lost, unquote. For me, this brings an image of the good shepherd and the prodigal son to mind. 
aren't we the lost sheep that Jesus has come to save or that is trying to save? You betcha. <laughs> yeah, I, but, yeah. we, but we have to be open to that, right? Oh, that's what I want to say, that uh, sometimes we are the lost sheep, but we don't accept that we are the lost sheep. Right. And if you don't accept that uh, we are the lost sheep, we are the poor in spirit in another language, for sure it can be hard even Jesus to come to you. Because it brings in the idea of humility. For example, the people here who saw Zacchaeus going with Jesus and they started to grumble saying, he has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. You see how they are really judging Jesus. How can you go to stay in the house of a sinner? Mm-hmm. So Zacchaeus is really getting the graces from Jesus and the other merits. But other people really are losing. So you see, uh, it, it needs a lot. One more thing, just real quick. I just found this interesting because I looked up the footnotes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's amazing how well the gospel writers knew their Jewish law. Because, you know, when Zacchaeus says, I'll pay it over four times more. Why four? Why not just double it? Well, that's what it is in the Jewish law. Yeah. I just found this interesting. When someone steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for one ox and four sheep for the one sheep. <laughs> I just found it interesting. Sorry. What, what site do you use for that, Father Marty? If USCCB. USCCB. Okay. They've got a Bible so, on there and it's got footnotes. So you must pay four times. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think, Tony? Why, why a sycamore tree? Why do you think, of all the trees you could have picked out, you could have picked out an olive tree, why a sycamore tree? I don't know, because oak trees don't grow in the Holy Land? I don't know. <laughs> so a sycamore tree is a very easy tree to climb. So the branches are low. Usually it's not a very super tall tree. Oh, maybe 15 feet, maybe a little higher. But there's a lot of low-hanging branches, so it makes it very easy to climb into the tree to be able to climb upwards. So on the Holy Land trip... Actually showed us a sycamore tree that they believe could have been kind of the style of tree. And so of course they didn't let a heavy guy get in the tree. They didn't want to, you know, break any branches. <laughs> so we sent up our smallest guy up this tree. <laughs> He's now a priest of the Pisces of Wichita. Did they help you down? <laughs> I thought maybe you said they were gonna put you up in the tree. No, no, I said they didn't pick a heavy guy because they didn't want to break oh, branches. Okay. So they picked a little guy. Well, he probably weighed like 130 pounds was, soaking away. I probably. thought it was you. I'm sorry. The point to be taken from that is it only takes a little effort to be able to get Jesus. Get in the tree. Ding, to, ding, ding. To get a glimpse of Jesus, if you will. Yeah, for me, um, it is easy to understand because when we have uh, like a, a leader, like a president or a minister coming in the places like rural areas, Oh, many children, even the youth, they climb trees. So you find that all the trees are full of people, mm-hmm. but they want to see him. So it is like the same. Here we just have acorns and walnuts falling from our trees. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of leaves, Tony, a lot of a leaves. A lot of leaves, yeah. But what they do here in this country, they, they're in buildings and they're at windows high above the motorcade and, mm-hmm. or they're in fences or whatever. They try to get into an elevated position 
so they could see better. Yeah. So we may not have the trees, but we have the things that they climb up on. So it's it's a universal problem getting a glimpse. Yeah, well, folks, you're a pretty tall guy. You probably don't have to worry about that too often. I'm do you? not a tall guy. I'm a, I'm an ordinary <laughs> little guy. I would say I was a runt, but you'll probably use that with some other things. So. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that, we go. that's going to wrap up our discussion of Sunday's gospel. <laughs> uh, if you are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Father Marty, Father Mike, Father James, and Father Dennis, and we're getting their perspective on the gospel, and we will be uh, talking about purgatory here coming up. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're happy you're here. If you like what you hear, tell somebody about the show. Um, last week, we talked about heaven and hell, uh, the choice between good and evil that is constantly staring us in the face. While it is true that some people can go directly to heaven, there is also another path to heaven, commonly called purgatory, that is not well understood in Christian circles. That's the second half of our show tonight. Let's start it off with the big question. Does purgatory actually exist? Is it real? It seems like Christians can't agree one way or another whether purgatory exists or not. And some Catholics can't agree on whether purgatory exists or not. I would say yes. <laughs> I mean, I know that's entertaining radio when you just say yes. <laughs> but, I, but I believe it does, yes. I'd say yes. Like I think almost even like today, like unfortunately... Oftentimes, we've gotten some Catholics that almost kind of think that, well, you know, mom or dad or my best friend, they were Catholic. They get an instant card into heaven. Well, not so much. Like, we need that opportunity to be to be purified. Like, you think about it. Let's say if you're going to a wedding and you've been out working in the yard, you know, burning leaves or whatever else. You're not just going to stroll in there, you know, leave all smoky snow and, hey, I'm ready for the party. No, you got to go home. You got to get cleaned up. You got to get ready for the big celebration. I think we should probably get a definition of purgatory. Father Dennis, you have one, don't you? We can use the one of the catechism. You have one, Father. What, what does the catechism say about purgatory? Oh, to me now. Okay. So here, they've got a couple things here. Um, so all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent. The uh, tradition of the church, by reference to certain texts of scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire. And then um, this is from St. Gregory the Great. As for certain lesser faults, we must believe that before the final judgment, there is a purifying fire. He who is true says that whoever utters blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will be pardoned neither in this age nor in the age to come. From this sentence, we understand that certain offenses can be forgiven in this age, but certain others in the age to come. I think part of the problem, too, is that, that we, we think of purgatory as a punishment. And it's not a punishment. It's a place of purification, as Father Marty just said. It's hard to make an analogy because all analogies limp, but it's like getting ready to go to a party and finding out at the last minute that you have a terrible stain on your suit or on your dress or whatever it is. 
everybody else is going to be dressed to the nines. And so you have to get rid of that stain, change your clothes or do whatever before you feel that you're perfectly dressed to go to a party or a wedding or funeral or whatever it is. Take some time to, to go through that process. Uh, when we die, not all of us die perfectly ready to go to heaven. We're not perfect in the sense that we're not ready to enjoy the blessings of seeing God face to face. And so we need, uh, we need a time whereby we can be purified of those things that keep us from God. And not necessarily sin, maybe just the results of sin. It might be a self-will. It might be, you know, self-interest or something like that. But we, we want to we wanna tidy up. We want to be tidied up so that we can really see the Lord the way he wants to see us. I think the best um, explanation of purgatory that I've ever heard was that when you take a piece of wood and you hammer a nail into it, and that's the sin, the nail is the sin, mm -hmm. and then you go to confession and you have your sins removed, and that's like pulling the nail out of the piece of wood, but it still leaves the hole in the wood. Mm -hmm. And so that's what purgatory is for, is to heal that hole in the wood and to make the piece of wood whole again before you, you can get to heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the idea behind is the nature of heaven. You know, heaven is a holy place. Mm -hmm. So if there are imperfections which we might die with, they need to be purified. So we bring the idea of purgatory to purify those imperfections. Here they say, purgatory refers to a temporary state of purification for those who have died in the state of grace, but still need to get rid of any lingering imperfections, such as venial sins, earthly attachments, self-will, and so on and so forth, before entering the perfection of heaven. A lot of times when somebody dies, and they die suddenly, and we haven't had a chance to say goodbye, and there may have been some hard feelings between us in the course of their life, we always feel kind of bad about that. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have had some time to to mm -hmm. somehow work things out between us. Um, th this is God's way of letting things be worked out between us and him. That it's a, And it's a kind of oh. a mysterious thing, but it's a way of giving us an opportunity to allow his grace to permeate our lives in such a way that there are no grudges. There are no lack of what should be there in a perfect friendship. And uh, that's always helped me a great deal. That it's not, a, it's, you know, I know they talk about fire, and that, but they only use that as an analogy of how with some people that crustiness is there and it needs something pretty strong to kind of move it around, move it, move it away. So it's a great blessing. Purgatory is a great blessing. So, so Father, Father Dennis talked about last week, heaven and hell are not a place, but they're more of a, a state of being. Is, is purgatory the same kind of thing? Uh, this whole business about place versus state, that's a hard thing for us to grasp, you know. Um, I suppose the closest thing, and, and now at least, I can't even say the word, but we, we have a hard time. Like, for instance, when you, when you have a dream and it's so real mm -hmm. that you think, I mean, it's real. 
and yet it's still a dream. You wake up from it in the next morning and you think, well, that, did that really happen or not? And yet when we talk in terms of place, heaven not being a place, Jesus in his resurrected body came through the wall. His resurrected, we're going to have a physical body at the end of our life when we go into the kingdom of God, uh, when he raises us up. So there is a place there as well as a state, but it is a state as well. I don't know, Father. Father Dennis is now looking at me for you who cannot see, and he is questioning whether I just committed heresy. So I'll turn it over to the to the to the Inquisition at the table here to find out. So, so does God's grace continue to flow down to us in purgatory? It is well, sure. God's grace is God's friendship. It's God. It's the reality of our relationship with God. So, I mean, is purgatory a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, but you can't grow in God's grace in purgatory. It's already done. So that's why they need us to help them through it. Let's talk about praying for people in purgatory. Very important. I was researching and I found a half a dozen uh, gospel verses people believe support praying for souls in purgatory. Do you have to know someone in purgatory to pray for them? No. Can, can you offer just general prayers for the souls in purgatory sure. and help total strangers get out of purgatory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. You betcha. I want to, to clarify a little bit to Father Mike because he's looking uh, at me. Here we go. Watch out. Yeah, he's looking at me and he said, Father, can you say something? Yeah, let me say something about how, um, of course, these are the teachings of the church. This comes after death. What we are talking about here is after death. Mm-hmm. And when you die, what is death? This is the separation between the body and the soul. Sure. And then that soul then, after the separation between the body and the soul, what is happening then after death, that is what we are talking about. Right. And then we talked the last time about heaven. Now today and her. And today we are talking about uh, Purgatory. So these are the states of the spirit which the spirit undergoes after departing from this earth. Absolutely. So it is a state in the sense that it is a state where that spirit will be. When we use place, maybe we think of physical or something. It is a state because it is a spiritual world where maybe using the language of Jesus, glorified bodies can be there. And the glorified bodies mean bodies which cannot be limited by time and space. Right. So it's more of a spiritual world. World, okay. Sure. My, I was just referring to what will happen at the end of the world when we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That refers to more than just the soul. Right now, all those people who have died... Their spirit is alive, whether they're in heaven or hell or purgatory. The spirit is in that spiritual state. Their bodies are out in the cemetery someplace, decaying, but their their spirit is, is alive. At the end of the world, at the general judgment, the bodies of the dead will rise. Physically, they'll rise, and they will be reunited with their spirit. So that when you and I meet each other in the kingdom of God, and you're a bishop and I'm a lonely altar boy, uh, <laughs> we, will, we will still know each other. <laughs> we do not disagree, Father Dennis. No, not really. That's so, fine. So for the people who are listening who, who aren't praying for people in purgatory, 
why should we pray for the souls in purgatory? Does the golden rule have any relevance here? You know, the whole do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Sure. Because um, they're our relatives and friends, our mother and dad and, and our brothers and sisters. And, so, and since they cannot help themselves in purgatory... They rely on, who can they rely on? They rely on the whole church. The church always remembers the people in purgatory at every mass. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we should, in a very personal way, we should remember them as well in our prayers. I always, I cringe a little bit because I think, how many people have I forgotten to pray for that I've, they've asked me to pray for them and then they die and what have you. And uh, I think, how many have I forgotten to pray for? And so I include all of them in a general way every day. And the church does the same thing at Mass. Because at, at, at one point, at some point after we die, we may be in purgatory and Probably we may need we may need people who don't know us to pray for us too. Right. To get out yeah, of it. And, so. and uh, this brings in the importance of Mass intentions. The intentions we give in every Mass, those Masses are very important. That's why almost in every Mass we do such intentions to pay for those people who are in the purgatory who need our help. That's why I think what Father Marty has done, at least the first time I knew of it was last year, but on whole All Souls Day, when we have that special cross and we bring in, mm-hmm. we have people sign up in the back to pray for certain relatives and friends, and then they bring up a, a votive light and we put it in that cross, and the whole congregation prays for that person. It's so meaningful because it's so personal and so real. And there's something that is also, uh, it has come in my mind that we should not even wait for someone to pass away That's right. in order to pray for him or for her. We need also to pray for the people who are still alive. And in addition to that, even when someone is sick, remember to, to, to bring him or her to get uh, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Right. And even other sacraments, because you see now how it is hard if you, you, you are in the purgatory, you need the other people. But when you are still alive, you can pray for yourself. You still have enough time to, to work on your life. And, and one of the things, too, is, and I can't remember if it's a precept. I don't think it's a precept. It's a spiritual work of mercy is that we pray mm-hmm. for those who have gone before us in death. That's right. Right. And, and I'm just going to throw this out because it's, it's one of the things that's hard for us to do here. But when a brother priest or deacon dies, you know, um, priests are asked to offer three masses um, within 30 days, if at all possible, um, for the priest or the deacon who has died. Hmm. And, I, and I find that to be very powerful. I do too. One of the interesting things about priests and deacons, I, I don't know about deacons so much, but most priests, this is kind of shocking, but most priests do not receive the sacrament of the anointing or what they used to call the last rites. Most of us, be prepared guys, most of us die in bed. Most of us die, we don't show up for Mass they usually think it's my mass and I forgot. <laughs> we don't show up for mass and they come over to the rectory to find out where we're at and they find us dead. I think it's a very strange thing that we spend a lot of our own time counseling people, being with people, preparing them to die a happy death. And then uh, we give them the sacrament of the anointing or what they used to call the last rites. And we don't receive it ourselves, not because of any fault of ours. It's just that 
God seems to call us without the use of the last sacrament of the church. <laughs> so I don't know, but it's something to think about. So what <laughs> if, if somebody wanted to pray for the, the souls in purgatory, what's the most powerful prayer you can say for the souls in purgatory? For me, it's this. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and all the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. That's mine too. The other one that I would add to that would be that brief moment of silence at the Mass when we remember those who have died. A lot of times, you know, and I'm guilty of this, but a lot of times we don't pause just very, it doesn't have to be a long pause, but for all those who have died, you know, and we just pause a minute and remember you know, mm-hmm. whoever we want to remember. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like, the big thing for me is, like, the, the great power there is in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And it's do we take that opportunity, you know? Because not only do priests, you know, have intentions for the Mass, but even the lay faithful who are participating in the Mass, you can have an intention. What is your intention when you come to Mass? Sure. Oftentimes we kind of look at it and say, well, I'm, I'm here, Father, because it's Sunday and I got to, you know? It's that commandment dealio thing I got to do. But it's to truly come to Mass and offer our own intention. You know, one of our liturgy professors said it the best way is, he talked about when the gifts are brought forward, do we truly present our prayers, you know, with that with those gifts that are being presented oh. on this high altar? Okay. That the Holy Spirit will come down, you know, during the epiclesis. Like, do we do that? Or do we just look at it as, well, I threw my $5 or, you know, 50 bucks in the offertory plate and I'm just a bystander. When I walk into Mass, I can start off the Mass and think, okay, my prayer intention for this Mass is my parents. Right, yeah. And absolutely. when the gifts come up, I offer that prayer intention. When the gifts are sent up, they don't necessarily have to be named in the in the offertory, yeah, but correct. I can I can offer this Mass for that. I never, I never thought of it yeah, that way before. Right. Yes. Interesting. And we should probably remind people of that from the altar, you know, because they don't... They don't think of that. So uh, I've heard the the souls in purgatory referred to as the holy souls of purgatory and the poor souls of purgatory. And that got me thinking, uh, are they holy? And if so, why? And how can they be both holy and poor souls at the same time? Can't take a U-Haul with you. Not like obviously, I was like, afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you know, like the material wealth is gone. You see it as holy as like, you know, because guess what? If you hit purgatory, you're going to make it to heaven eventually. It's not one of those ones of you're in purgatory and you know, you're just sitting there waiting and then all of a sudden the you know floor drops out from you, you know? It might feel like, you know, sitting at a car dealership waiting for your car to get fixed, you know? <laughs> as you're just sitting there going like, oh, come on, just call my name already. But it's also an opportunity because, you know, God willing, one day you're going to be there in the halls, you know, with the communion of saints up in heaven. I always think of the three children of Fatima when the Blessed Mother appeared to them in 1917. And one of their big questions is, will we go to heaven? They wanted to know that. <laughs> and our Blessed Mother assured all three of them that they would go to heaven. Uh, but she told the oldest of the three that she would have to wait a little while, and she lived a whole life before she died as an older nun. But then she told the younger two, a boy and a girl, 
that the girl would go to heaven very shortly, and she went, she died in 1921, but the boy would have to wait for a little while and say many rosaries before he was allowed to go. <laughs> <laughs> he, he died in 1924. So, but I always thought to myself, wouldn't that be neat to know right now that you for sure are going to go to heaven? But then I thought to myself, well, look at the suffering that they had to endure from that moment in 1917 all the way to when, when the oldest of them died in the 1940s, I think, 1930s she died. So, But do you think, though, if, like, if let's say the Blessed Virgin Mary came to you tonight mm-hmm. on Sweeney and said... Reverend Phillips. She wouldn't call me Reverend Phillips. She'd call me Michael. Michael, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be in heaven. Do you think that there will be a potential to go like, all right, I know I'm going to make it to heaven. Now I'm just going to kind of coast this thing out. The first thing I do is call you, and I'd let you know that I had an extraordinary revelation. And then I'll say, Phillips, are you prank calling me again? <laughs> I thought we already did. I thought we already did this earlier. Well, I think it would be seriously. I think it would be a real problem because I would, I'd be, you know, first of all, I say I feel terribly unworthy, and secondly, I, I, I think the rest of my life would be difficult. Really would for anybody, for anybody. So I understand why God doesn't do that. It's like knowing the future. If we knew the future. I think that would be more of a cross than it would be a, a great. And what what was the? I, I remember who it was, but they asked the question that if you could know the date of your death, would you want to know? Right. Was that you? No, that was Father Dan. Was that? Fa- oh, that yeah. was Father Dan. Because Father it? Dan asked that question. That was to Father us. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. I I want also to to add that uh, to be in the purgatory, that is an achievement, mm-hmm. because purgatory is for those who have passed away being in the state of grace. Mm-hmm. So you are on transition. So for me, I think if someone can achieve to be in the purgatory, that is a great achievement. Mm-hmm. So is it is it setting your sights too low to shoot for purgatory? No, no. <laughs> I don't think so if you have the right attitude for it. Although I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with setting your sights for heaven, you know. If you look upon heaven not just as a reward, because I think you get in all kinds of problems if you put it in those terms, but I think if you look upon heaven as the perfect union that you will have with God, as a friendship, as a result of friendship, you know, I think that's important. I mean, obviously it would be much better to go directly to heaven and skip the whole Mm -hmm. purgatory thing. Yeah. Oh, sure. So do we have any idea how long our stay in purgatory is going to be? Or is that kind of dependent on... How we lived when we were alive. What kind of damage do you have to your car? What we're trying to fix here. Which, with, the, with the car dealership which, here, yeah. Which, which car? <laughs> you know, obviously, like, we have no idea how long you're going to spend there. And I know, like, that's something that, you know, some have asked, like, well, you know, I, I've prayed for your know, mom or dad for a while. And, well, like, if I do a mass intention, like, well, what happens if they're already in heaven? Like, does that mass intention just, you know, poof, you know, doesn't really help anybody? But like we don't know how long the process is going to be, and also with our prayers, like let's say mom and dad are in heaven, we can still utilize those prayers and the best needs, and God will send them where they're best going to be in use. To who needs them most? You know, that's what I was always taught to that God will you like there's a divine bookkeeper in the heaven who's going <laughs> to parcel them out someplace <laughs> wherever needs them. You know, mm. obviously there's a great need for most people. 
I mean, that's why we talk about the holy souls. They're holy because they are, they are, have been found worthy of being with God forever in heaven. So they're holy, okay? And they're poor because they aren't there yet, you know? And, and they're very much aware of the fact that they're not there yet. And also something to remember, you know, these are the mysteries. We are talking mysteries, yeah, really. Mysteries, right? Mystery, mysteries, and uh, we don't have a perfect language to define these mysteries. Right. We try to use the human language, but even our language is limited. The other thing that just occurred to me is that the God is outside of space and time. Right. Mm-hmm. So heaven and hell and purgatory are probably outside of space and time right. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, purgatory could be a finger snap and it could be a long time. <laughs> and I suppose a lot of that depends on how many people you have praying for you. Interesting. Does the Bible say anything specifically about purgatory? Does it does it Yeah, I have here the book of Revelation chapter 21 verse 27. It says nothing unclean will be allowed to enter into heaven. Okay. That is kind of mm-hmm. an allusion, an allusion to... And the book of Matthew talks about it being a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead. Well, if they're in heaven, why pray for them? If they're in hell, you can't do them any good. So there must be some kind of reality in which they are, uh, which where they would benefit from our prayers, so... And can I read a couple verses from that? Mm -hmm. Maccabees, I love it. I love this. He then took up a collection among all his soldiers, amounting to 2,000 silver drachmas, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiatory sacrifice. In doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way, inasmuch as he had the resurrection in mind. For if he were not expecting the fall and the rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. I know I pronounced that word wrong. But if he did this with a view to the splendid reward that awaits those who had gone who had gone to rest in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Thus he made atonement for the dead that they might be absolved from their sin. Very good. With a side note, that is the first reading of my funeral mass. <laughs> so pray for me, please, it's, when that time comes. It, what 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 Maccabees is that, Father? It's a uh, two Maccabees Chapter 12, 12. 12, 41 through forty six. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where they but, go through and find the false idols on the soldiers. Oh, okay. That was one of the ones that I had in my list to for uh, that supported praying for the souls and, and purgatory in general. So, but some of our Protestant brothers and sisters have a slightly shorter. Bible, because they've uh, taken some things out that don't exactly <laughs> toe the company line. And interesting. It's funny how that happened, isn't it? That, it is. The things that were a little difficult to resolve were just removed. So I have a disquotation, Matthew twelve thirty two. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. You see, meaning in the age to come, there is, there is still a possibility of forgiveness. Oh, okay. 
All right. Well, is there anything anybody else wants to add about purgatory that we didn't touch on? I will end with this line from Augustine back in the fifth century from the city of God. Um, Temporary punishments are suffered by some in this life only, by others after death, by others both now and then, but all of them before the last and strictest judgments. Very good. That sounds like a good way to wrap up our discussion of purgatory. Uh, Father Marty, do you have a closing prayer for us? I do. And let's pray the prayer that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And I invite our listeners tonight to call to mind their loved ones, family, friends, who they would like, who have gone before us, who they would like to lift up in prayer tonight. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. And let the perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. Amen. May their souls and all the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. You're very welcome. Once again, we have run out of time for this episode. If nothing else, as Dr. Ray Garendi is fond of saying, hopefully listening to this show will cut some time off your stay in purgatory. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Makes me want to come back next week. All right. <laughs> Pastor's perspective for next week, the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. We will continue our journey through Luke's Gospel as we jump into the middle of chapter 20. And our discussion will focus on angels and demons uh, in honor of All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. Until next week, share the good news of God's saving love with those you meet. Go forth and make disciples. If you're not actively practicing your Catholic faith, we invite you to join us at Mass. Consider this a personal invitation. As you stop to pray this week, please include the souls in purgatory seeking their release to join God in the beatific vision. Remember the golden rule. Do unto other as you would have them do unto you. Someday we may need someone to pray for us in purgatory. I'd like to thank the priests tonight, Father James. Thanks for having us, sir. Father Dennis, thank you. You are welcome. Father Marty, thank you. You're very welcome. And Father Mike, thank you for showing up. Thank you. All right. (laughs) I was the one who wasn't here last week. I'm the one who showed up tonight. Right. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for helping us understand that purgatory is a good thing. Purification is a process that's not without its problems, however. If you get into purgatory, you are guaranteed one day to be in the presence of God in heaven. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please join us again next week. Thanks for listening, and good night. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 